Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, this is Eva Green, star of Penny Dreadfuls, Casino Royale, Dark Shadows, but mostly Michael's heart, dreams, bed, and his boy bits. When he's not busy being my lover, slash butler, slash slave, running my bath, making my tea, and sprinkling rose petals everywhere I walk, he makes next to nothing creating a free podcast. Oh, Eva, y- you don't need to do this. It's okay. I'll survive. It's not, sweetie pie. You're tired. You're hungry. You've barely got enough energy for us to have sex 20 times a day. And most importantly, I'm down to my last billion pairs of shoes. Last billion? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me kiss your feet to make it better. Yeah, a little higher. A little higher. Oh, Oh, that's a good boy. So here's the deal, listeners. For every person who helps Michael survive, I'll do all kinds of naughty things to him. If you buy an e-book, I'll... His... Oh, crikey. If you buy a mug, I'll... His... Was wearing nothing but a Belgian bun. Oh, cripes. And if you sign up to Patreon, I'll... His... Wearing a Belgian bun and smearing mini Battenbergs into my... For him to feast on. Oh, oh, the sherbet's coming. Oh, oh, I'm going all dizzy. Oh, everything's blurry. My malnourished heart can't cope with the excitement. Eva, why are you wearing a mask of your own face? Why is your hair blonde and messy? Why are you three times heavier? And why do I have an overpowering desire to slap you really hard? Oh no. It's not. It's not. It is. Yes. Boojo's back. Little Boojo is throbbing. And I plan to bugger everyone in Britain one by one. Starting with you. Rather. So when I thrust, I want you to scream, I love the EU. I love the EU. I love the EU. I love the EU. Gadzooks, what's up there? It's my prison mobile phone. How's the reception? Up there? Not great. Uh, although, 
I can still receive phone calls. Hi, it's Mike. Hiya, Acast here. Oh, sounds like we're just in time to do some really lewd things to our podcaster. Like, really lewd things. Guys, unpack the Travel Sumo Vodka Jelly Sex Dungeon Roller Coaster and cancel any work we weren't going to do anyway. We may be sometime. Eva! Eva! Come back! So if you want to save an impoverished podcaster from a fate worse than death, and hopefully treat him to a well-earned night of passion with Eva Green, a pot of tea, and a tray of lovely sticky cakes, mmm, the help button is located in the Murder Mile merch shop. But before that, there's this. Friends, welcome to Mini Mile your indispensable compendium of UK true crime trivia. This week, we'll explore the free time of three infamous killers, we'll look at the tools used by modern forensic teams, we'll take a toot at how homemade highs are made in prison, we'll dip into even more odd deaths, and we'll peep into the shopping bag of a kinky fraudster. And with only a few more weeks until the brand new Murder Mile multi-part series... Here's this week's episode of Minimile. So let's kick things off with a little How do you do? By learning more about some infamous murderers and serial killers on a more social level. This week, free time! What did serial killers and murderers do in their spare time when they weren't murdering? So by asking identical questions, we'll examine the social life of three killers, followed by a few tantalising tidbits from a few other terrors. Number 1. Myra Hindley, the infamous Moores murderer along with Ian Brady. Favourite food. Very little is known about Hindley's favourite foods prior to meeting Ian Brady, but her mother always insisted that she had a side portion of chips with every meal, as Hindley was a notoriously picky eater, perhaps brought on by the fact that she was bullied by the boys over her wide hips, with kids giving her the nickname of Square Ass. Having met Brady, her tastes copied his, and they'd often dine on French cuisine, as Brady loved poncy foods, or Chinese food, which was seen in the 1960s as exotic. Favourite music Again, very little is known about Myra's musical tastes prior to meeting Ian Brady, but she soon found that they shared a love of Wagner, which was one of Hitler's favourites, as well as enjoying a series of popular songs, which Hindley and Brady often used as a secret reference to their victims, such as Girl Don't Come by Sandy Shaw, It's All Over Now by Joan Baez, Legion's Last Patrol by Ken Thorne, 24 Hours from Tulsa by Gene Pidney, and It's Over by Roy Orbison. Favourite film. Supposedly, her favourite film was West Side Story, as well as biblical epic The King of Kings, and a dramatisation of the Nazi war crimes trials, Judgment at Nuremberg. Although, what really was her favourite film, we may never know. Favourite book. As a child, Hindley loved nothing more than Beatrix Potter, the writer of the Peter Rabbit series, and Enid Blyton, creator of Noddy 
but her taste changed when she met Brady. Choosing to read In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, Hitler's Mein Kampf, Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, and Maya Levin's Compulsion, as well as other books favoured by Brady. Favourite drink When she was with Ian Brady, she would drink white German wine, mostly Hock. The type that was available then was Blue Nun. But when she was away from Brady, she preferred to drink rum and coke. Smoking Hindley was a heavy smoker, and even inside her own house, she had a vending machine for cigarettes. Hobbies All we know is that as a teen, Hindley briefly trained in judo. Religion Raised as a Catholic in a semi-religious family, Hindley was baptised as a Catholic and regularly attended Holy Communion. Although, with Brady, Hindley renounced her Catholicism, and later, when she was in Holloway Prison and parole was mooted, she later claimed to have become a reformed Catholic. Drugs. Hindley has no history of drug abuse. And finally, political leanings. Just like Ian Brady, although Hindley absorbed a lot of right-wing propaganda, she claimed to be left-wing. Number 2. Harold Shipman, the respected family doctor convicted of murdering 15 elderly women, suspected of killing 257, with the police still investigating as many as 450 over a quarter of a century. Favourite food. Although not a particularly fussy eater, Harold Shipman ate a very normal diet consisting of Weetabix for breakfast, sandwiches and fruit for lunch, and with his evening meal, he often had four slices of brown bread, as he strongly believed that food should be very carbohydrate orientated. And as Primrose, his wife, was a good cook, he enjoyed a beef wellington and was a fan of curries, all of which he consumed with the vegetables that he grew in his back garden. Favourite music Even from an early age, Shipman had no interest in music. Favourite film Again, from an early age, Shipman had no interest in movies. Favourite book This is unknown, but upon Shipman's death, an inventory was taken of his cell, and on his bedside table was a half-read copy of Henry IV by William Shakespeare, the story of a scheming king who was riddled with guilt having killed his cousin. Favourite drink Shipman, being a bit of a snob, considered himself a wine connoisseur, his favourite being Samour, a sparkling white wine from the Loire Valley in the south of France. Smoking Shipman was a strict non-smoker. Hobbies As a youth, he was an accomplished rugby and cricket player and was vice-captain of the athletics team at college. But later in life, as he'd try out new hobbies, he rarely kept them, so his main source of relaxation was gardening, especially growing vegetables in his back garden. Religion Both Harold and his wife Primrose were Methodists. Drugs and alcohol abuse Although never confirmed, it is believed that Shipman became addicted to pethidine, a painkiller, in 1974 when he was a doctor at the Abraham Ormerod Medical Center in Todmorden, West Yorkshire. Having already risked the lives of two patients who he had experimented on with high doses of pethidine, he started using himself as a guinea pig. At the height of his addiction, Dr. Harold Shipman was injecting himself with 600 to 700 milligrams of pethidine a day which is roughly 14 injections of 50 milligrams every day. Political leanings. Shipman was heavily involved in local politics. 
he was a member of the Family Practitioners Committee and secretary of the local medical committee. And finally, here's a non-British one. Number three, John Wayne Gacy, the killer, KFC manager and children's entertainer. Favourite food. Although never stated, John Wayne Gacy's final meal on death row consisted of a dozen deep-fried shrimp, a family bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken, French fries, a pound of fresh strawberries and a large Diet Coke. Favourite music. He was a fan of REO Speedwagon. Favourite film. This is unknown, but he was a fan of sci-fi and fantasy. Favourite book. Again, this is unspecified, but he claimed to enjoy reading the works of William S. Burroughs, whose books include Naked Lunch, Junkie and Queer. Favourite drink. J&B Scotch Whiskey, which he would often drink in his favourite drinking establishment, the Good Luck Lounge in Chicago. Smoker. Gacy was a non-smoker, although he would partake socially of cannabis. Hobbies. Gacy loved painting portraits of himself as Pogo the Clown. Once incarcerated, Gacy displayed his work at exhibitions and others were sold at auctions, with prices ranging from between $200 to $20,000. Gacy benefited from the sales of these paintings up until 1985, when the law changed. In the months following his execution, some of these paintings were destroyed on a bonfire attended by 300 people, including the family members of nine Gacy victims. Religion. Gacy was Irish Roman Catholic. Drugs and alcohol abuse. Gacy smoked cannabis, often to lure his young victims in with the promise of drugs, drink and excitement. Although his father was a violent alcoholic, this didn't stop Gacy from turning to alcohol himself and plying his young victims with alcohol. Political leanings. Staunchly a Democrat, aged 18 years old, he was assistant precinct captain for a Democratic Party candidate in his hometown of Chicago. So there you go. Three serial killers with three very different personalities. What they did in their spare time, I think gives you a greater insight into who they truly were. And before we end this section, here's a few quickies for you. Ridge Christie was a big fan and supporter of QPR, Queen's Park Rangers football club, as was the man he had convicted for his crimes, Timothy Evans. Fred West, the Gloucester serial killer, was a fan of Celtic FC. Beverly Allett, one of the, oh, roughly 8 billion serial killers who the press dubbed as the Angel of Death. She loved EastEnders. Charles Cullen, one of the other Angels of Death. He loved to prank call funeral homes, chase cats, and put lighter fluid in other people's drinks. Yep, nice man. Rodney Alcala, the dating game killer. He was a keen photographer, and he used his skills as a fashion photographer to lure his victims in. Charles Eng enjoyed origami, a skill he learned in prison. And the crazy lady's favourite, Ted Bundy. No, not the one who works for IBM, Sam's Club or UPS, but the real one. He was a prolific thief, obsessed with stealing ski equipment. Next week we'll return with Ian Brady, Ed Gein and a few more horrendous individuals with hobbies. And now, as we're still a few weeks away from the return of Murder Mile, as many of you have had to go into rehab to get you through extra mile withdrawal, here's a few snorts of utter nonsense to stop you going cold turkey. Oh, 
The boat rocked a bit then. Oh no, it's stopping. Ah, it stopped. And now, back to the show. And now it's time to get technical. Let's get technical! And by technical, I don't mean technical, like those kinds of questions you're asked before boarding an airplane. For example, are you carrying any liquids over 100 millilitres? To which the answer should be, what the hell is 100 millilitres? Are you talking a pipette of oil, a pot of jam, or a can of coke? And does this include anything inside the human body, like a full bladder, a whole tit of milk, or if Eva's been away, the contents of one testicle? And other such nonsense questions, like, if you have any explosives? No, just my arse. Any weapons? Again, no, just my arse. And are you carrying more than three bottles of alcohol? Again, the answer is, only in my blood. So let's strip away the flashy, shiny twaddle of the CSI-style crime shows and ask, how exactly does it work? This week, what are the fancy pants tools in a crime investigator's arsenal? Uh, under section 52 of the... Uh, no, 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 not arsenal as in arsenal. Different arsenal. Whoa, thank Wenger for that. Major crime averted. And now, back to my mid-afternoon dream about the lovely Princess Kate. Let's start with some simple things which crime scene investigators carry. The standard kit that all crime scene investigators carry with them includes stationery, such as pens, pencils, a notepad, graph paper, a small ruler, permanent markers, spray paint and chalk. This is to mark the scene, evidence and to make any notes. As well as a torch, a camera, flares, a tape measure, a small set of scales, a latent print kit, a body fluid collection kit, a footwear casting kit, bindle paper, tweezers, syringes, knife tubes and biohazard bags, all used to safely collect and retain evidence using labels, tapes and seals, as well as the protective equipment that they'll be wearing, including gloves, booties, hairnets, overalls and a mask, to prevent any cross-contamination. Crime scene investigators may also carry police tape, but the crime scene will have already been sealed off by the first responders. So these are just the basics, but what are the fancy tools which they may also have at their disposal? The bullet puller. In any shooting, it's important for the investigator to establish what types of bullets they are, who made them and when, and the gunpowder and the wadding used is vital to determine this. The problem is that when bullets are ejected from a casing, the wadding is often lost or destroyed. But if unfired cartridges are found, as it is difficult to remove the wadding without damaging the casing, investigators can remove it safely using a bullet puller. It's like a plastic hammer with a hollow head. Once the bullet is loaded in, the cartridge is whacked hard and the bullet, the casing and the wadding separate and all three components are left undamaged. Anyone can buy a bullet puller. In fact, they're available on Amazon. Phenolphthalene. Way before CSI attends a crime scene and sprays objects with luminol, a chemical which reacts with the haemoglobin in the blood, causing it to become fluorescent, as discussed in Minimile 1, each CSI comes equipped with a simple blood testing kit. So with a very small swab of phenolphthalene and hydrogen peroxide, 
they can determine from the sample's pH balance if it is human blood. And because they've used so little, it won't have compromised the crime scene or the blood itself, as luminol can do. Gas chromatograph mass spectrometer. Obviously, this is not something that CSIs have in their car, but back at the lab. It's a very technical bit of kit, so I'll explain it as simply as I can. In short, a GCMS can take a tiny sample of an unknown substance, and when the sample is placed inside the isolation tube, gas pushes the chemical components of the sample from one end to the other end of the tube, and by determining the weight, speed and density of these components hitting the sensor, this tells them what each chemical component is. Laser Ablamation Inductivity Coupled Plasma Mass Spectrometry, also known as la ipkms Yeah, not a particularly good name, so let's just call it LAS-ABS. When broken glass is found at a crime scene, although visually you can take an educated guess as to how it was broken, it's hard to accurately tell what direction, speed, angle, height, and with what object it was broken. But by analysing the atomic structure of each fragment, the LASABS is able to compare and match each fragment to give the specialist a clearer picture of how the glass would have looked at the point of impact. Alternative Light Sources, also known as ALS Before an autopsy takes place, which is a procedure which is incredibly invasive and can destroy evidence if not spotted, without moving or disturbing the body, even at the crime scene in a limited capacity, a forensic nurse is able to assess the physical damage to a human cadaver using ALS. Light is made up of different bands, covering visible and invisible light rays, and as different objects colours and temperatures give off different light signatures, these can be seen by different filters on a camera. So if there is bruising underneath the skin, not visible to the naked eye, it will be visible in ALS. Ooh, check me out, I'm like Gus Grissom. And here's one for you gaming fans. Digital Surveillance for Xbox, known as XFT. For the sake of incredibly vain man-babies who love looking at themselves when they're playing video games, Inside all games consoles, which have internet capability, is a hard drive which stores all kind of really useful stuff like high scores and positions in a game. But it also stores dates, times, location and the duration of your gameplay, as well as images and sound of you playing the game. This is a system accessible by digital forensic specialists and these recorded sessions have actually been successfully used in court to prosecute. And if you enjoyed that, we'll have some more toys for crime techs next week. Right, now, Eva needs shoes. And I need Eva to smear some on my while she with two fondant fancies and a on my with a cinnamon swirl. Mmm. But as my calorific intake and limited sex life is reliant on the purchase of mugs, ebooks, and all Patreon subscriptions. I have to supplement my pitiful income with, hopefully, an advert. <sighs> Thankfully, now that he's a major podcast celebrity, my pal Bobby Walthamstow put in a good word with Acast for me. So here goes. Hi, it's Mike. Hiya, Acast here. Oh, hello, Acast. So. Mike? 
Yes, 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 that's, that, that's me, Mike. Hello, hello. Hi, Mike. Uh, is this a good time to talk? Yes, yes it is. Hello. Hiya. So, uh, Mike, you're a pal of Bobby Waltham's door. Star of reality TV shows like D-list Dross Dickin' About, Celebrity Anal Bleaching on the Beach, and help my career's gone shite since the incident. Yes, yes, uh, we're big pals, big pals. Oh, we love Bobby Walthamstow's true crime celebrity bandwagon. It's so original and different. Three effless nobodies from the telly talking shite about something they know nout about. Oh, it's genius. How did he ever come up with podcasting gold like that? I don't know. I really don't know. Well, it is our number one rated show. And that's why he gets... Uh, uh, adverts? Oh, not just adverts. Luxury adverts. For stuff like diamond-encrusted vodka jelly shot dispensing rocket boots, nudie sumo vodka-filled sports car dodgems, and 58-carat gold donkey sex dungeon log flumes. Oh yeah, all of life's essentials. Well, uh, 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 Bobby is is a big pal of mine, and uh, uh, he he well he is the star of my podcast, uh, 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 and I made him the celebrity he is today. Well, obviously that, and the and the trial into the death of Freddie Scunthorpe. Well, Mike, that all seems tickety-boo. I think we'll definitely be doing some business with you. Oh, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll just fill in this little sheet to work out which of our premium celebrity adverts is best for you. Are you okay, Mike? Yes. Uh, I think I just passed out. Okay. Just a few simple questions, and then we'll send you our complimentary caviar llama bongo with three-way disco lights. To welcome you to Acast. W- welcome me? Question one. Your name? Um, well, Mike, obviously. Question two. Name of podcast? Name? Well, it's Murder Mile. It always has been. And finally, question three. What celebrities, D-list and above, do you have on your show? Celebrities? Um, well, none. None? Not even chums from other podcasts, like Toya Wilcox, Wills Cox, where the infamous lisping singer coaxes out men's timid todgers using nothing but willpower. Shane Ritchie gets bitchy, where the game show host upsets emotionally vulnerable teens by telling them they've got fat ankles. Glenn Hoddle makes bubble hats a doddle, a mix of football chat, crochet and the soothing clack of knitting needles. Or George Clooney pulls a Mooney where the star of those Nespresso ads, and other such like, flashes his rear at dickheads who've joined cults. No, I'm Mike. Remember, Mike, I do the murder podcast set in the West End. Oh, you're Mac. Why didn't you say? Guys, don't put the disco llama in the post. It's no one famous. It's just Mac from the dull podcast that no one listens to. Oh, what a waste of time. I could have spent it satisfyingly yanking off chunks of back hair off the shy podcasters to make myself a new ermine-style robe and slippers. Ugh. So, this is probably a really stupid question. But, will I be getting an advert in this show? Well, times are hard. Money's short. And adverts are just so few and far between these days. So you know, Mac, 
I don't know. Aha. Well, let's see. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Now it's time to return to our regular segment called Doing Bird. As you know, it was recently my great pleasure to be a long-term guest at Her Majesty's Maximum Security Prison, HMP Bumphone, for committing one of the worst crimes ever. Was that okay, officer? Under section blah 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 12TJ of the Talking Shit in Front of the Lovely Princess Kate's Personal Knickers Guard Act, you did willfully and hurtfully dare to suggest that Guinness is not a complete meal that it is not one of my five a day, and that the consumption of 15 pints of Guinness a day does not make me the sex beast what I am. Once again, officer, I apologise. Thankfully, before Boris was banged up, By jingo! Sex-starved prisoners! Wah! Rather! Only to bonk himself so silly that his eternally gyrating groin tunnelled him into the prison's celebrity wing, which was full of 1970s BBC TV presenters, knighted Radio 1 DJs, and other weapons-grade assholes. Oh, by jingo! Now one, now one. <laughs> Good eye. Can you tell what he is yet? Yes, Rolf, I can. It's a shitty caricature of a kangaroo being held by a convicted paedophile. But before that, this gave me the opportunity to research life in UK prisons. This week, with the extortionate cost of drugs in prisons, We'll discuss how prisoners get around this by making homemade drugs, with a little review of each drug by some famous junkies. Number 1. Nitrous Oxide, or Laughing Gas, also known as Hippie Crack. This is sold in those nasty little finger-sized silver canisters that you see crushed on the ground just outside schools, which is meant for making whipped cream and inflating balloons, but any numpty without a brain inhales it to get high. Such is the UK law, it's legal to buy nitrous oxide, but it's illegal to supply it for human consumption. Go figure. As although nitrous oxide brings about feelings of euphoria and relaxation, it also bursts brain cells and can lead to anemia and severe nerve damage. 
nitrous is easy to smuggle into prisons. But again, the canister will smell of a man's ass, as will the gas. So, Mick Jagger, what's your thoughts? Ah, thanks Mick, I agree. Number two, chemically laced photographs or paper. To bypass the prison screening process, families and friends send prisoners family photos or children's drawings laced with cocaine, ecstasy, heroin or spice. To take the drugs, many prisoners soak the paper in water or alcohol and then they drink that. They can crumble up the paper and smoke it. Or they can simply just eat the paper. Prisons are aware of this and all letters and photos are screened. So, Keith Richards, your thoughts? Well, exactly. Number three, spice, the synthetic cabinoid, also known as the zombie drug, which can create a feeling of relaxation, but also delusions, paranoia and psychosis. Homemade spice has been made in prison using all manner of lethal substances, such as cleaning products, insect repellent and nail varnish remover. Once soaked on the paper, it is then dried and smoked. This causes hallucinations, nausea, confusion and psychosis. But for many prisoners, a credit card sized piece of paper which is laced with spice can sell for between 20 to 50 pounds a time. So, pasty-faced Pete Doherty, your thoughts? Ah, really, well that's fascinating. Number four, toilet wine. A strong and disgusting homemade alcohol made from water, fruit, sugar and mouldy bread to make it ferment. And although it can be very potent, many prisoners have been hospitalised after drinking it, suffering from all kinds of sicknesses, from stomach cramps all the way up to botulism, which can cause severe paralysis. So, Kurt Cobain, your thoughts? Well, if you say so. 5. Medications Many prisoners are prescribed medications for disorders such as anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, bipolar and insomnia, as well as addictions to heroin and methamphetamines. And these prescription drugs that they are given are highly prized on the prison black market. And although their distribution is carefully supervised, even if the drugs are administered by the prison doctor and dissolved in a cup of water, Prisoners have been known to spit it back out in private, dry it out, and then resell those drugs. So, Janice Joplin, your thoughts? Hmm, <laughs> good point. Whatever it was. Number six, crack sticks. With many UK prisons having gone smoke free since 2008, and some buying in vape kits to pacify those with a nicotine habit. Ugh dirty habit. Some prisoners make what they call a crack stick. This is where they remove the vape's filter, giving them a much stronger nicotine high, and then they replace that filter with all manner of noxious substances, including cleaning products, alcohol, or spice. John Belushi, your thoughts? Great. Thanks for that, I think. And finally, number seven. Parachuting. This is a very cheap homemade high, which is entirely legal, where prisoners soak a piece of paper in black coffee 
until it's absolutely saturated, then they dry it out and smoke that. So, back to you, Mick. Your thoughts? I can't eat them my mouth. Yep, you're so right. Drugs are totally harmless. And now, continuing on from last week, here's another exciting instalment of Odd Deaths. So, his death was totally natural, was it? Well, that's the odd thing. This week, I'll give you a quick rundown of some very odd deaths from around the world. In 1893, in the Carlisle Arms in Soho, Walter Cowell was necking back a couple of pints when he bet his pals that he couldn't put a billiard ball in his mouth and close his teeth around it. He managed to achieve it, but he choked to death. 2014, 13-year-old Heval Yildirim of Turkey was killed when his father put a sacrificial goat onto the roof of his home, which was surrounded by a fence. Being spooked, the goat leapt to its freedom, but landed on Heval and killed him instantly. 2013, 14-year-old Miguel Martinez of Lubbock, Texas, was playing hide-and-seek in the National Ranching Heritage Center when he sped into the statue of a bull and was impaled by the bull's horns. 2013, following the stupid craze of wedgies, when someone yanks up a person's pants really tight, causing them pain in the testicular region, Denville St. Clair was accidentally killed when his stepson gave him an atomic wedgie, pulling his pants so tight he pulled them right up over his stepfather's head. The man was knocked out unconscious and he suffocated. 2013. In Caratinga, Brazil, 45-year-old José Maria de Souza lived in a house on a steep hill. One night, a cow crept onto the roof, fell through the ceiling, and crushed José to death. 2012. 28-year-old Erica Marshall, a vet in Florida, was treating a horse in a hyperbaric chamber. When the horse panicked, kicked the wall, its horseshoes caused a spark and the oxygen-rich air exploded, killing them both. 2012, 32-year-old idiot Edward Archibald from West Palm Beach in Florida, Florida's back, was taking part in a cockroach-eating contest, need I say more, when he choked to death on a piece of dead insect. 1998, 16-year-old Jonathan Capewell died of heart failure having used too much deodorant. Each can of deodorant contains a mix of butane and propane, and although it is safe if used sparingly, as an excessive user, Jonathan had 0.37 micrograms of butane per litre in his blood, a fatal dose of which is just 0.1 micrograms per litre. 1994, 16-year-old Jeremy Breno was killed on a golf course when the stroppy teen missed a shot and decided to take out his frustrations on a bench with a golf club. The shaft broke, it bounced back, hit him, and pierced his heart. 1993, Gary Hoy, a Toronto lawyer, was demonstrating the unbreakable glass in the Toronto Dominium Centre by throwing himself at a large glass window. The window didn't break, but sadly, by banging his body weight against the unbreakable glass, it pushed the glass out of the window frame and he fell 24 storeys to his death. 1988, veteran skydiver Ivan Maguire was eagerly filming a jump 
and was so obsessed with getting the camera work right that it was only after he had jumped out of the plane that he realised he had forgotten his parachute. And finally, in 1983, Jimmy Ferozo and his girlfriend Teresa Hill decided to engage in a little bit of kinky sex on the grand piano of the Condor Club in San Francisco. Mid-coitus, Jimmy accidentally activated the lifting mechanism which lifts the piano out of the way of the stage. It pinned him to the ceiling and he died of suffocation. So Eva, remember that. No nookie on levitating pianos, okay? And now, for True Crime Swapsy Time, where each week I will share with you another true crime podcast which you might like or you might not. Here's a clip. Hey, welcome to Crazy Dave's Killer Killer Show, sponsored by Quincy Burgers. Mmm, they sure are juicy. This week we have a true story about... Say, do you like big beans? Buy Sammy's Big Beans, they're great. A sadistic killer who was called... Say, do you like soap? Buy Soapy Sud Soap, they're great. And during the 1960s and 1970s... Say, do you like bin bags? Buy Max Bin Bags, they're great. Killed 138 women on Dwight Spiedelhacker Avenue in Hop Crunstonton in Albuquerque, right next to the Quincy Burger. Mmm, Quincy Burgers. They sure are juicy. And now, an ad break. Hey, do you like Quincy Burgers? Buy some today. They're juicy. We're back. But before that, here's another ad break. Do you suffer from constipation? Good. Okay, we're back. But before that, a brief advert by Mingotone. Women, you'll be ugly unless you buy this right now. So the scene outside of the Quincy Burger, mmm, they sure are tasty, was a sight. The victim's blood was red, thick, and creamy, like the ketchup used in the Quincy Burger, on sale for only 99 cents. Buy drink right now. Her head was cut open like a fresh ripe lettuce used in the Quincy Burger. Buy food right now. Her nose had been sliced up like a dill pickle used in the Quincy Burger. Buy a car right now. And her butt cheeks were cut off like a sesame seed bun used in the Quincy Burger. Mmm, Quincy Burgers. They sure are juicy. Get into debt, it's great. So who was this killer? To find out more, subscribe to our exclusive bonus content for only the cost of a medium-sized mortgage. I've been Crazy Dave, and this is my Killer Killer Show. Sponsored by Quincy Burgers. Quincy Burgers is a fictional product, as far as I know, and any connection with any real product called Quincy Burgers is purely coincidental. But if they are a real product and they fancy sending me a large check for advertising their product, that would be very great. Even these shoes, I can't stress that enough. And now, onto the final section of the show, called London Weirdos. Here, mate. Yes, geese? Word is, you flipped your wig, mate. Yeah, mate. My wig has done a flipping backflip, and my crazy bonce is as bald as a coot. Lovely jabbly me old nutcase. Come on in, just don't stick the hose of a fire extinguisher up your ass, because that's already been done. This week's story is an odd one. I warn you now, it could either make you very confused, very angry, or both. In the early hours of the 13th of June 2017, in Kensington, West London, just in the shadow of Reg Christie's former home, a faulty fridge freezer on the fourth floor of a 23-floor block of flats caught fire. The fire spread through the flat, out of the window, 
and up the flat's cladding, which wasn't fire retardant, turning the Grenfell Tower into a giant inferno. By the morning, 72 people were dead, and although 223 escaped with their lives, many were left to grieving lost loved ones, broken lives, destroyed homes, and hundreds were left homeless, having lost everything. In response to this, many locals opened their homes to those who were homeless, local residents made meals for those who were hungry, a fund was set up to help those who had nothing, and words of sympathy came flooding in from across the world. But for at least one person, this was a golden opportunity to fill her pockets and to live the high life. 39-year-old Jenny McDonough was a finance supervisor at Kensington Council, who in light of the fire had been made the finance manager of the Grenfell Tower Fund, a fund designed to help those affected by the fire, to find homes, buy clothes, and to try and repair their lives. Only Jenny McDonough didn't care about anyone but herself. In fact, over the previous four months, she had defrauded the National Health Service out of £35,000. And now, as the account supervisor for the Grenfell Fund, she would defraud not only the fund, but also the victims out of £62,000, using prepay cards which were intended for five victims. When the real recipients of that money were forced to stay in cheap hotels, to live out of suitcases, and were wondering when the money they so desperately needed was going to arrive, Jenny was treating herself to expensive shopping trips on Rodeo Drive, a New Year's Eve party in Reykjavik, and holidays in Dubai and Hollywood. She lavished herself with trips to beauty parlours and posh restaurants, blowing £32,000 on gambling, and she even stooped so low as to blow £48 that she had stolen from those who needed it most on a 12-inch purple vibrating dildo from Anne Summers. Because, you know, when you're frigging yourself off at night, surely there's nothing more sexually arousing than thinking about all of the traumatised people grieving for their lost relatives, who have lost all of their personal possessions and treasured memories, who are unable to rebuild their lives because you've pissed their money up the wall, spending it on holidays, treats and a giant dildo for yourself. In court, Jenny McDonough was described by her own barrister as a pathetic woman. She pleaded guilty to all four charges and was jailed for five and a half years. And now you know. So, my beloved friends, that was your weekly dose of Mini Mile. I hope it was strange, funny, sad, and yet an eye-opening companion to your regular Murder Mile. Don't forget, the new Murder Mile multipart series is coming very soon. When? I don't know. But soon. But if you want to see all of the crime scene photos for this multi-part series way ahead of everyone else, subscribe to the Murder Mile Patreon account for just as little as $3 a month. That's barely the cost of two Belgian buns. And for that, you will get loads of goodies. You might even get a discount from Quincy Burgers. Mmm, they sure are tasty. A big thank you this week to my new Patreon supporters, who are Bruno Letts and Gloria Marin. And a thank you to Catherine McAndrew for your very generous donation via PayPal. It was very kind of you. And also a thank you to my current, past and future Patreon supporters, 
as well as everyone who has sent me lovely notes about how much they appreciate the podcast, and everyone who has reviewed Murder Mile online. It's hugely appreciated and really does help keep the podcast alive. Mini Mile will be back next week. Love to you all. Tatty bye! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.